Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast from Studio Breezy. I've got Mix and Toby and Matthew. Am I like your third dog in that scenario? Third most important thing in the room for sure. <laughs> Sorry, my children come first. Um, what's up, Matthew? It is still the week after uh, the season ended in a really, really painful way, but that's soccer, that's sports. We're here to try to take an analytical look at the season that was. The good, a little bit of the bad, the things maybe we'll try to work on, and also just what happened overall throughout the season. So I want to give a little primer here. Um, if you didn't uh, do the math and you don't know, we played 29 games that mattered. And, and Matthew and I have decided to classify this thusly. The game against Charlotte, which was a just a straight-up friendly, did not matter, did not get included. Metro Louisville, straight-up friendly, didn't play our, anything close to our starting lineup, did not get included. We didn't include those because we didn't think it was fair in the kind of analysis we're going to do to these to do that. I will also put another slight asterisk here in a second um, on the goals conceded in a moment. But our overall record in 29 games was 16 wins, 8 draws, and 5 losses. Um, that includes a draw that we have included with an asterisk to Valley United, which did not count in our, um, in our league totals for Nisa play. However, for us, it counted. We played the whole game. They were doing fraudulent things, but it was not apparent yet. And that game was a game that we played and they played at full strength and it ended zero zero. And I think it was worth including here. And additionally, we have Atlanta United and Memphis in this, plus the Independent Cup final, which was a final, which I think mattered, even though they weren't technically professional competition. It was for a trophy. It was for a title. We're counting it here. Um, the, the other asterisks I will put in this, we scored 50 goals on the season, which, Matthew, holy shit. Wow, that's a, that's a callback. Rod said that 30, is what, that 40, is what, 50 goals. That is what writers call a callback. God, that was... Uh, listen, if you had told me before this season, I would have given you anything you wanted for 50 goals and and looking back on it it was awesome and we will get into the details of a lot of those goals and how they happen and whatever else but yeah 50 goals was exceptionally good we conceded 31 goals on the season now i'm putting an asterisk on that as well i will i we did not include in our goals conceded we have a conceded um category later on that we'll talk about we did not include the goals against atlanta united in large part because the competition we played against when we played Atlanta United is not the level of competition we could reasonably expect to ever see in any other game that mattered except for that Open Cup. So it wasn't indicative or fair to call those six goals and be like, these were really, really bad because these are this is love you boys, but like men, like men against boys, right? It's MLS versus the third division. It's Major League Baseball versus it's UTC playing UTK. Like, it's just you're never expected to do anything. So we pulled those out of the stats a little bit. So that takes our overall goals conceded to 25. But I left it in there in the record because we're expected to lose that game. And it's in a competition, the Open Cup, that matters. So it's worth keeping in there on the score sheet for the loss. I don't think it's worth beating ourselves up about the six goals conceded. Um, I'm not going to like pick three goals and put three goals on there or whatever. I'm just going to leave those goals in there at 31. But remember, six of those are from... Uh, a team that was expected to absolutely batter us, and they did. Um, and it was a bummer, but that's how that's how things go. And then, yeah, that's kind of how the season looks. So again, 16 wins, 8 draws, 5 losses in 29 games. That's pretty fucking good, dude. Yeah, it was a good season. I mean, I think it's... I think, I think, it's, I think it's a great season if you couch it in the first cycle, new coach, first year of a new cycle, finish in the semifinals, finish as the second best team on paper in the league. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I, I was just And thinking, that doesn't mean I'm not sad about the loss. Of course. I was this I mean, like we're doing two podcasts in one week after losing a semifinal game. Like we're obviously trying to cope with something. Podcasting is our therapy, <laughs> as you said. The I think something that I just thought of, uh, which is like we're gonna go through these goals scored, we're gonna go through these goals conceded. And something that might be really fun for us to do uh, later on is try to get the coaching staff on and broaden that analysis to kind of expected goals scored and expected goals conceded because we might be able to to drill down further uh, if there were any statistical aberrations here in terms of um, how many we scored. Like th- these are just like what if, if the chance was if the chance was like you know super super high quality or super super low quality for us because it was a goal. It's we, con- it's considered like we're 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 categorizing it kind of more broadly. It might be interesting to take a look at this category, sure. take a look at the did expected we, goals models. Did we underperform? Models. Did we overperform? And, and, and even in, in certain categories that we, that we have here, I think that might be really a fascinating study. I agree. We would need either Jed or Coach Chris to come do that for us because you and I, honestly, we're not smart enough. And we don't have the data. We don't. So let's but before we get to all of those just direct statistical categories let's do our blocked out parts of the season so matthew you have divided this up and i agree with you into six blocks take us through it so the idea is that uh i think there there are six blocks of the season starting with the maryland bobcats game at home at the beginning of the regular season in march and going through the semifinal match against michigan stars that i think kind of they're 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 blocked they're out like in chap- terms of like narratives. They're basically, like, they're like chapters in a book. Yes, like I, we're kind of building narrative a little bit here, uh, but I think you'll see, and and it's roughly five, six, seven, whatever it is, games in a, in a block, uh, and I, and I think it'll bear itself out of like this is kind of the story of the season. Yeah. So let's get into it. We are playing in this first block a four three two one Christmas tree. If listeners remember at the beginning of the season, we predicted based on how Rod played last year, and we were correct to start the season, that he was going to play with two tens that were tucked in, not wingers, not out wide, not out next to the tech they had, line. They had freedom to move, yes. but they started out tucked in. Yeah, they started out close. It was a Christmas tree. If you've ever seen a Christmas tree uh, written out on a piece of paper, in soccer terms, the, the widest positions are the fullbacks, and it goes in from there kind of evenly up to the striker, making a bit of a triangle. Um, we played the Maryland Bobcats 1-1. Syracuse never happened, but it was in that period of time. We 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 were there. Where, Matthew and by I the were way, there. By the way, by the way, why we have to be petty and include it in this period. Fun fun fact, just as a quick aside, uh, that was the Syracuse game that never was was the Sunday before the Memphis Open Cup game, and when the starting lineup was released, it had uh, uh, Taylor Gray as the most forward player, uh, the striker, and then Alex McGrath and Ian Cero underneath. Uh, and if you if you take a look at where we eventually changed to, Sarah and McGrath were essentially like the two tens. If you considered our our formation later on to be a six and two tens, uh, we just added wingers later on. I just thought that was always interesting. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's gonna be tough for people to follow, but I I followed <laughs> you. Um, that was a thing like for me and me alone. As as Matthew and I have talked way too much about things. I this is when I wish this was a video podcast so we could just use a, a whiteboard and show what you meant. But I'm with you. That is absolutely what happened. We added wingers and we still played with two tens, um, or as I like to call them, free eights. But that's a little bit getting ahead of ourselves. Memphis 901 Open Cup three one, big win for us. We were very very good in that game. Valley United zero zero away. Um, we were very dogged in that game in trusting the process in yeah. that like 
that really, really like arguably, arguably should have been a loss because uh, yes. we we had not re- we didn't give anything away. Well, no, everything everything that we did give away, we gave away. Uh, we, we continued to pass out of the back even when we could not do it properly. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely. Because their pressure was was too much for us. And they were. It turns out they were cheating. They were probably the most talented team in the league. They're, at that the, point. they're the best team in NISA by um, far, bar none. Like this would not even. Yeah, they just had four fake green cards <laughs> and paying players under the table and a whole bunch of other things all mixed together. Yeah, to cheat. So um, then we we lost Atlanta United the following week, zero to six. That game felt worse than it actually was. Yes, we got beaten poorly. Uh, but if you go back and read Jed's um, recap of the game, their xG was not as high in part because some of those were just bangers. Um, yeah. And then Flower City Union, we lost 0-1, and this was a turning point uh, in the season. Matthew, take it from here. Yeah, this was a turning point for for both me watching, trying to trust the process play out, and I think for the coaching staff as well, because it wasn't that we didn't create enough goals to beat Flower City Union. We did. Our XG was like, I don't know, 2.8, something like that, 2.7. Uh, and and we gave up like two shots, and one of them was the shot that that killed us off at the end of the game on the counterattack. And listeners will remember that Matthew has repeatedly on this podcast for no reason taken shots at our team for this game all uh, season long because this is this is the, both the turning point and his most negative point of the season apart from probably the playoff loss. Uh, no, this is my most negative negative part by far. Uh, but the, the thing that I think the coaching staff also decided at the same time was we we are not creating enough in general. And they would have looked at 2.7, 2.8 on the XG against Flower City Union and said, that's not good enough for this team. Because Flower City Union's the worst team in, in U.S. pro soccer. They, they, they decided this, is, this standard is not good enough. This formation, maybe this where players are ending up in the formation, this isn't good enough. This leads us into block number two of the season. Additionally, the elephant in the room we haven't talked about, the starting lineup was different. Marcus had been signed later on in the preseason, but he was only playing as a substitute. And when we went to wingers and we changed the formation, we're, we're going to block two right now. Block two comes in and Marcus goes from play from not playing at all to being Nisa's leading scorer and leading all time, uh, single season. Uh, yeah. Nisa league record. All that's what I was trying to say. That's what I was trying to say. So block two formation switches, uh, the, the back four and the midfield three are basically the same. Uh, a six and two eights, maybe a six and two tens, depending on how how you want to nitpick on it. We go to two wingers, one left and one right, and then a, a lone forward up top, like it had been previously, uh, w- with a single forward. Marcus slots in as our single forward up top. Brett Jones goes out wide. Brett Jones goes out wide. Taylor Gray uh, goes from the from the left sided ten to just a full on left winger. That results in a two one win on the road. Um, at Maryland Bobcats. At Maryland Bobcats. Uh, they go immediately to Flower City Union two weeks later, where they win 5-1 away. That was the coming out party. That That's was, when we were like, holy shit, we're good again. Yeah, well, yeah. Or good in general. And, and, and like, look, we created we created some really good stuff. We were dynamic. Flower City Union's not good, but that was the game where... And, like, beating Maryland was huge, and we needed we needed that win. That was a kind of a grindy, gritty... Uh, it was like 35 degrees and raining that day. It was we were awful. There. It, it was, was, it was, it was awful. terrible. The Weather-wise, crab, the, crab, the crab cake sandwich was amazing, and so were the fries. And so was and so was uh, Jimmy Two Phones coming down from uh, <laughs> yeah. from Virginia to watch the game with us. But beating beating Flower City convincingly, handily, creating stuff, finishing stuff that was very very good. That was really important for us. Come back home against Bay Cities. We won that game four to two. Uh, created a lot and transitioned that game. And uh, I think 
the the goal against Bobcats that we gave up. This is actually an interesting thing because like we gave up a couple goals in this stretch, four of them. I think all of them are relatively soft. In, in that, like the the Bobcats goal is a banger. Uh, it's a set piece or it, it's a free kick from way way out. Takes a nasty deflection. There's nothing you can do. Flower City Union is a is a banger of a goal. And then you've got two in the in the Bay Cities game. One of them's deflected. One of them, the keeper gets unsighted, and it's kind of a it's kind of a nasty hit. Um, and but like that was a different like so we scored a lot of goals in the stretch. Beat Syracuse Bulls three zero at home. Beat uh, Bay Cities on the road three zero. We scored a lot of goals in the stretch, but you could start to start to see the defense was not quite as good. Uh, as compared to the beginning of the season, yes, we gave up six goals against Atlanta United, but the one goal against Maryland Bobcats that we gave up was a free kick. Uh, we, you know, one goal against Memphis that we gave up was an absolute howitzer. You know, you held Valley United, even though you're maybe a little bit lucky to have held Valley United. You gave up one weird counterattack to Flyer City Union, and Atlanta United's Atlanta United. The defense was was much more solid, probably because of numbers in the midfield. In that first block, right? Because we had we had two additional midfielders instead of two wingers who were in there. Block two is the story about adding wingers, becoming a little bit less solid in the middle of the field, but it created more offense. And that's the period where we decided that we were to score goals, and we probably weren't going to. The trade off was to score more goals, score goals at all, and that we might give up one here or there, but it wasn't going to matter. We move into block three, and I want to note that. Uh, the Bay City's road trip, uh, the last game of Block 2, and the LA Force road game, the first game of Block 3, that's the same road trip, by the way. But I think it, it's a it's a point where, yes, we got into a little bit harder schedule in this stretch. Um, and, and you could see that they were things were a little bit harder to come by. So you've got the 1-1 game against LA Force. We created something very, very early off of a throw-in. Uh, not a throw, excuse me, off of, off of some transition play just early in the game. And Marcus smashes that ball Smashes early. the rebound home. You've got uh, a Michigan Stars nil-nil, the first one of those of the season. Uh, you've got Syracuse Pulse winning two. We beat Syracuse Pulse 2-1 at home. But that game that was, was the, the sign. That was like... That was the first game where like we... I wouldn't say we fully got outplayed, but like it was a very, it was much more even than the scoreline indicated. Yeah, we could have lost that game pretty easy. Yes, um, and we got some bouncers that went our way, and we played okay. Um, but that was like where it was like, ooh, there's some chinks. Some that was that in was the armor. that was some warning signs. Beginning of yeah. July, we go to Flower City Union, we take care of business, and then we play a r- incredibly tough game at Syracuse. Finishes one zero. Uh, there we scored a second goal that probably is unjustly called for offside. Syracuse also scores a goal that's probably unjustly called offside. So that kind of evens out. That game was tough. It was like 95 degrees in the air. It was like 120 on the field. It was played at the middle of the day so that we could make sure we got a flight home. Well, because uh, Syracuse doesn't have any fans. Also, sorry, sorry. Syracuse has one fan. Correct. Yes. So, I mean, there, there, there are Rich. reasons to this. And then you've got um, finishing that week, Flower City Union on the weekend, Syracuse Pulse on a Wednesday. We flew back and played... Club de Leon in the Independent Cup. Uh, 1-3-2, lifted some silverware. Didn't look good doing it. Did not look good doing it. Uh, All that matters is we got to win, but there's some cracks in the... Bad, in the a bad giveaway, uh, a bad giveaway in the middle of the field for no reason, and then a corner kick scored, I mean, essentially back-to-back 
Uh, and I think it was signs. I think I think there was that stretch. Block three was a stretch of warning signs of like, okay, this is there's some issues here that over the course of the season we're going to be fine. But you see a little thing here or there, a little thing there, and you're like, this could come out like this could come back to bite us at some point in time. Uh, we take a weekend break off. We come back for the for the second half of the season. Block number four. And this is I just I just have written here struggles. This is the hardest part of our season, but and in large part because the schedule got a lot harder. Yes, and we were not playing yet as well as so we had that that period of time where offensively, right after we switched to wingers, we were boat racing people. We were creating all sorts on the offensive end, and we had a we were a little bit worse defensively. Probably yeah. just again overall numbers in the midfield and whatever else, but we were not like we weren't like getting woo that was so lucky, but. We also, teams adjusted to wingers. So the first few games, they had no idea what was coming, and we hit them right in the mouth. Then, as we're leading into this struggle period, we had we had been kind of found out and game-planned against. And we were still creating stuff, but we were not creating the verticality, which I talked about a lot during the season, and whatever else. I mean, think, and think it's about, the hardest part of our schedule. Yeah, think about this. So in blocks two and three, we played Syracuse three times. Two of those were incredibly difficult. One of them... Was early in their season. They weren't. They were still figuring oh, that out three nothing would beat the shit out of them. They were still figuring out housing. Like they got. They got here like off the planet at eleven p.m. Like they were not. They were not who they became. And they ended up making the playoffs. Like they 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 got better across the season. Yeah. So did, so did we. Let's that, be clear. That first game. That first game we caught them at the right, at the, the exact perfect time. We played Bay Cities twice in there. Who I don't know if they had a formation. I don't know if they had a game plan other than like. You know how, like, you play a little online FIFA, right? You know how sometimes in online FIFA, like, people spam the sprint button and are, like, constantly pressing for just absolutely no reason on earth? Like, there's no tactical sense about it? That's Bay Cities. Yes. And if, like, you have the technical ability to pass through them and you have a little bit of a brain to stay on side, you're going to end up with one-on-one chances all the time. And that's what, that's what happened with Bay Cities. Sure. You got Flower City Union twice in there as well. Yep. In blocks two and three. And, and also we had you made, had a, you had a couple hard fought games with or a hard cut fought game with Bobcats. You had a nil nil draw with with Michigan Stars, a tough game with LA Force. Um, so like the schedule, the schedule moving into blocks four and five is just harder. It's just it's it's much harder. And the struggles point part that I that I've listed here is almost purely narrative, but it's partly impacted by the schedule. So we start out coming out beginning of August with a 3-0 win over the Bobcats that I think makes us look better than we really were on the night. Uh, were we the better team in that game? Yes. Did Maryland Bobcats have 10 shots and none of them on target? Some of them that really should have been on target? Yes, they did. We got the early goal, so the game state really helped. Uh, we had even got, you know, the Greg Stratton goal off that, like, the mazy run that the defenders couldn't, Possibly. Hey, that is a fucking banger, and I will hear no, <laughs> no slander of Greg Stratton about that goal. Also, what we did in that game is we did what good teams do. Correct. And and that was also a harbinger of things to come, which is that good teams uh, win more often than they lose because sometimes it just takes a good individual effort. That Greg Stratton goal is a great individual effort and a great finish. And it's sure it's some bad play, but also he can shank that. Yes. Yes. So like, and, I agree and, and you see like, and then you see like Ian Ian Sarah's creativity ability. Uh, because you get a ball that that Frankie Martinez immediately plays out uh, where a guy megs Richard Dixon but goes way too far. Frankie plays it first time to Taylor Gray, who lays it off. And then Ian Sarah just kind of sits in the middle of the field 
and plays a, a beautiful dribble, through ball. Takes a little dribble, like wait, wait, wait. Plays a perfect time pass, and uh, and and Taylor, you know, puts a uh, puts the defender wrong, and kind of makes the goalkeeper sit down a little bit and just drops it past him uh, for the third goal right before, like right on the stroke, stroke of halftime. That's as good as block four went for us for the entire rest of, of the way because we host Cal United Strikers coming off of a loss to Maryland Bobcats. They lost to Maryland Bobcats, not us. Correct. And even game, even game could have gone either way, could have been a draw, could have been a win. We lose 1-0. We go to Syracuse Pulse on the weekend, and we give up an early goal. Then there's a red card uh, that probably saves the second goal. We lose three zero. I don't want to. I'm not going to belabor that one. Um, we we get Michigan Stars at home, uh, draw them zero zero. We go to Maryland Bobcats, one one game. Uh, both goals were were set pieces, uh, going either way there. And then Metro Louisville, which was a loss, but I don't care about it. Yeah, and we didn't even include any of the the goals in that one in the in the totals. Correct for school scored. I will say also about this block for second half of the season struggles. This was the period when we really played up or down really aggressively to whatever opponent we were playing. So that Maryland game, I would say we played a little bit down to them. We still beat them, but like we played a little bit down to them. Cal United, we played up to them. We were yeah. That was probably our best game of the season that thus far because of who we were playing. Like we yes. played except for except for Memphis where we boat raced. You know, one of the best teams in the Yosel Championship. Um, and then like Syracuse Pulse, big letdown, whatever. Michigan Stars, like we played exactly with it. And then the Maryland Bobcats, we played down to them again. I and will say that Michigan Stars draw, like we we, we had our win. we had our chances. We, we deserved, deserved to win. win that game, yeah. But also like we didn't win. Correct. So so now, yeah, block five, putting it together. Yeah, so block five, I, I named it putting it together because sometimes progress is is rarely linear. Like there, you're going to go through some lulls. You're going to go through some times where like you just can't quite get over the hump and then you suddenly do. And I think block five is about fully coming to our potential of like how good we could be on the season. So we went out to Cal United and we took a 2-0 lead and we didn't do a great job of closing out that game. We gave up two goals uh, and, th- and that's pretty frustrating. But if you, uh, if you go back and listen to the recaps of that podcast, which... Is a while ago, but if you go back and listen to those recaps, you can talk about us talking about that being a turning point in the season, especially defensively, because we started closing out games differently yeah. after that. Yeah, and you know we went we went down at, away to Albi in San Diego. We went down one to zero. Had a great comeback in the second half. We were diff- completely different team. A and huge, abs- huge win for us. Almost season defining win for us. I think. Yeah, I agree. And and the maybe the biggest and best team goal of the season might be that goal yes. against Albion where it's like 22 passes or whatever. It's 15. Don't ruin my narrative it's, with your facts. It's, it's 15 passes, but it's it's incredibly... Everyone's involved. The ball's going out wide. It's coming central. It's going back out wide to destabilize the defense. That is that is the quintessential goal. The only only, only way that goal could make be more quintessential for how Rod wanted to play this year. If it was tapped if out. It was on. It was on, on the, the ground, ground tap in. in. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, an yeah. in the air tap in, but like you know. And we saw, and like you said, putting it all together is a really good way to define this because we got a little bit better offensively. We started scoring from the run of play. Yeah. And we also got a little bit better at closing out games and a little better defensively. We stopped playing down to our opponents so much. Um, so let's talk about these two two to Cal United, like you said, three or two one, excuse me, at Albion win. LA Force, we win three two. Not a pretty game coming off of a road 
trip, put it together, got it and, done. And they get right, and they get two goals like really punch us right in the mouth, and we come right back and score two more. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very good. Michigan Stars zero zero, unsurprisingly, but again we were the better team in that game. Consider, I would think we were the better team in that game. You're looking at me like we're not, but um, that that was the one where I I think we just got it was away, it was a small field, and I think I think we I think we struggled in that game. Um, I think they were able to shorten the field on us and it, and it made it really, really hard for us. And they I, did, I think that, that they didn't create shit in that game. Correct. And and that's what I, that's what I'm like. I, I'm, I'm unwilling to call us having a difficulty scoring against a team that is very, very good at defending and who beat us in the playoffs. Spoiler alert. Uh, us having a really bad game. We deserve to win that game because we actually created some stuff. They had like two shots or whatever fucking shit it was. They they just did what they do and they they took advantage of their chances, meaning they blocked ours and didn't get any goals. We got Michigan Stars in that game, but I don't think we played down to them in the same way that we played down to other opponents in the block before this. I I I disagree with that. I think it's an aberration game for for the narrative for block five. But let's move on to Flower City. Okay, well, uh, I guess agree to disagree. Uh, Flower City Union, one nothing. where they do... Yeah, it sucked to only score one goal, and you were very angry about this. But also, we didn't allow... I, th- I don't think they had a shot on target. One. They had one shot on target. Like, they didn't do anything. We we closed out that game. We did not let them have a, a giant break at the end. Like, we we should have scored more. We should have been better. But it was... it. We did what we're supposed to do at this point of the season, where, like, now the process doesn't matter anymore. Now it's about getting points. Yeah. Because we are who we are. Yep. At this point in the season. And we went out there and we got it done. And good teams find a way to get it done. And that's what we did in this whole block for the most part. Yeah. Uh, that game, that game, and like most of the Michigan Stars games, uh, I think is emblematic. And, and even the first Flower City game, emblematic of, of what happens when you don't break down a bunkered team. Uh, and like you just like let it linger, let it linger, let it linger. And what did Rod say in the original interview with us? If you, you you have to take the chances when they come and bury them so they early. don't get hope. Yeah, you can't give them hope. You have to put you have to put your foot on the proverbial neck. And he that's not what he said. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you have to put the you have to score the early chance and make it count. And then you've got to get the. And we we didn't do that at times during the season. And there's some room for improvement there. So this stretch this stretch in block five, three wins and two draws, including uh, including everything at home. No, three wins and two draws without without Albion yet. Oh, okay, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, but it came to that that stretch of, of three wins and two draws got us to a point where we beat Albion at home and it was done. We were going to be the second seed, locked in, home playoff game, which was the goal at the beginning of the season. And this was the most important stretch, I would argue, of the season because this defined our season because we got the wins we needed to get that home playoff game and we kept, we beat the teams that we needed to beat in, in Albion to keep them out of contention for that, yeah. th- and, for and, that and second beating, spot. And beating Albion gave us where we won all three games at home we got an away win as well and we got two away draws that's a very great return september was a great ass month for this club and what did i say early on in the season as i given i told you so our season would be would defined be a, by august defined and september. by august september and august was a little rough september was the month where we really put it together yes and we we had so many games in august and september it's just whatever happened in those two months was going to define the season and we were good enough in september to not i'm sorry in august to not ruin our season but we weren't great and then in september we really put it together and made a big run and put a bunch of points together and while it sucks that we didn't win a championship we put ourselves in a position to have a chance at winning a championship. Yeah, and block six, and and I don't really want to like belabor this point here, um, 
but I, I I think we we lost a lot of sharpness. So we played the uh, right after the Albion game. We played Charlotte FC MLS Next Pro, and that was on the twenty eighth. Was the was the our last competitive game in Nice? So the twenty eighth of September, the first of October was the uh, was the Charlotte game. Yeah, and we and did not play again. You rotated, like, yeah. We played October fifteen ish, uh, and then we played that. again October twenty eighth or th- sorry thirty 30th, October yeah. thirty. So, so we played one competitive game in 33 days. And it was a game that did not matter at all. Like no right. no stakes were at, were, were on yep. this, the regular season finale. And I think... Which, I by think, the way, we won 3-2. Yeah. I, I think that that stretch of time, I think we lost some sharpness. And we lost some rhythm. And I think one of the things that happens... And this is not why we lost. And I'm not going to belabor this point. But one of the things that happens when you play a bunkered down team is that you have to be sharp. Like in those little bit of moments, that little fraction of a second of, of holding on to the ball or like that first touch or like where to go, being on the same page, you have to get it right against a bunkered team. And I thought we did create the chances to win that game. Uh, and I think and I think it's unlucky that we didn't we didn't come away with a win. But I think I think we were just not quite as sharp as we needed to be. And I think the layoff hurt. And I think when the schedule came out, we were worried about that layoff hurting. And it did not. It's not the reason why we lost. It's it's it one of the it, things it, that, it, that it contributed. contributed. A bit. Yeah, I agree 100. percent We got Michigan stars, and we don't need to belabor that point because again, we had a whole we did a whole episode earlier this week on that. But yeah, I agree 100. Uh, the Charlotte FC game was fun. I'll just say that um, because we got to see some younger players and some players that didn't get to play as much have a good time, and that part was really fun. Um, Matthew, do you want to go into goal scored categories here, or do you want to talk about overall statistics and then come back to goal scored? Which way do you want to go? Let's do goal scored categories for us, and then let's talk about the individual performances. Beautiful. And then we'll go to more of the defensive stuff later. So the season ends with a 0-1 loss in the playoffs, and now we roll out of the season and say, okay, what are we looking at? So we're looking at a season, again, that, as we said, I said at the beginning, but say I'm going to say one more time. Overall, in games that mattered, we were 16-8-5. That's really, really good. If you had told me we'd be 16, 8, and 5, meaning 24 useful results out of 29, in 24 results out of 29, we got points. It's very, very, it's very good. Very good. All right. So the way we decided to categorize these is set pieces. And set pieces do not include penalties. Penalties have their own separate category. So set pieces are anything that happens as a result of a throw-in, of a corner kick, or of... Yes, uh, corner kick or a throw-in. Direct free kick. Direct free kick, sorry. Yeah, thank you. That's the other one I was forgetting. So we scored. Or indirect free kick as we make all, almost all of our direct free kicks. <laughs> yes. Um, so set pieces. We scored 11 times. We scored yeah. 50 goals overall. We scored 11 times on set pieces. From all, from corners, from short corners, from... Throw-ins, from free kicks. Yeah. And honestly, it's more than I thought. That that's That's a fifth. Hang on, I'm bad at math. What is that, 20%? That's pretty good. I I think that's pretty good. I will also note, and something that maybe a theme a little bit later, we didn't score a single header on a set piece. They were all with feet or knees or other parts of the body. Um, That is not all bad, but it also shows that we... That's unusual, I think. It's very unusual, and I think... um, Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to note. Um, From the regular run of play, we scored 22. Yeah, nearly half our, very, very close to half our goals from the regular run of play. 
And I think as the season went on, and we, we talked a little bit about this, we started scoring goals more from the run of play in possession, not just in transition, um, which we chose to make the other two categories here. So we have set piece, regular run of play, counterattacks, or, and penalty or, kicks. Or transition moments. So yeah. counterattacks and transition moments are kind of like um, the same thing. So we, we've chosen to arbitrarily like just call them all counterattacks. But it's basically, did we score in transition or did we score as part of a longer period of possession? And those were, there's some, there's definitely some um, judgment calls in here that we've made, but we went back and looked at every goal and counterattacks were nine. So regular run of play, tw- regular run of play, 22 set piece, 11 counterattack nine. Honestly, I would have guessed if we would have, if you would have pulled me before doing this math, that it was, would be split up kind of halfway between counters and regular run of play with like five or six set pieces. I just didn't remember us scoring that much on set pieces. So I want to like give some credit to our offense for being pretty diverse and how yeah. we scored goals. And then penalty kicks. We scored eight penalty kicks. Uh, and that was of nine. We gave Ian Sarrell credit for his penalty kick because he took it, got it saved, and then he's the one who scored the rebound. Um, and then Marcus only missed one. Marcus also drew five. Four. I think it was four. Four, okay. Marcus drew four of his penalties that he took, um, which is an extra like cool piece of the puzzle, which is it wasn't just Marcus scoring goals that other people drew and there's a lot of space in this for other players to have drawn more penalties so again one more time 11 set piece goals 22 run of play goals nine counterattacks, and eight penalties scored making 50 goals how you feeling about that matthew i'm good i would not have predicted we would have been that proficient on set pieces this year uh i mean if you add penalty kicks into the regular into the set piece category you're at 19 of 50 goals um which I, which we, the reason we brought took the penalty kicks out of it is because it, it, it was just so many. It was just so many, and I think they deserved their own category because we were genuinely much better last year. We had two, yeah, something like that, yeah. And this year we had eight, and so, and that's that's because we were better. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely think there's the the penalty kick drawing has been a skill. Like sometimes you get one here or there, and, and you don't you don't worry about that. But like legitimately, it was a an effective tool because we were dangerous. And we were putting teams under pressure in a way where they were making last-ditch challenges. Yes. Or they were fouling Marcus, or they were whatever. Like, they were, in order to stop us, they felt like they had to, or they accidentally did because they were under so much pressure. Either one, they they it caused a penalty. And that is a skill. If it happens three times, it's just, like, maybe variance. But when it happens eight times, there's... Yeah, that, that's noticeable. Uh, the, the, the set pieces, though, most of that comes from... I think most of that comes from corners... Uh, probably two thirds corners to, to to regular set to regular set plays to, d- to direct free kicks. We had two direct free kicks on the year, uh, or just one because we didn't count. No, it's though. it's two. It's uh, Marcus at Flower City Union the first time around, and it's Marcus at home against uh, Club de Leon. Two direct free kicks. Oh yeah, because it's independent cup. You're right. You've got one uh, that we classified as a throw in from a or a set piece from a throw-in yep. that, that also is kind of transition, let's be honest, but we classified it as a set piece. It's two passes after the throw-in or whatever, yeah. and, and it's just quickly taken, And which I would count as a set piece. You've got the you've got the Damian Rodriguez goal at Maryland Bobcats, which comes from a from a free kick. We have the Olympico. You've at, got, yeah, you've got the Olympico that comes from, like, we call that a counter, or I'm sorry, a corner. You've got the... Um, you've got the, the is it, I think it's the Colin Stripling uh, goal against Club de Leon that comes from a from a direct free kick. Is it with his head or his feet? Uh, he heads it, saved, rebounds it with his feet. 
Okay, good. So it kept my it kept my fact about no yes, header. Yes, no yes, yes. I had, that was one of the ones I was thinking about for a second. <laughs> that was the game I missed because I was in uh, uh, Romania. And like, think about like the second goal against uh, the second goal against Memphis in the Open Cup. Uh, is that I think I think McGrath taps it to Ian Saro. Saro plays that ball in back post to Nick Spielman. Ball was saved. Travis Ward kicks it in. Uh, yeah, I think that was the harbinger of things to come, which is that like we were going to be dangerous. And I think by the end of the season, teams had figured it out a little bit. And so if I have one critique about this whole thing, about the 50 goal scored, which, by the way, we I didn't say this at the beginning. I, I should have. We are being really, really nitpicky when we are looking at goals scored and we're going to look at goals conceded as well on a on a season that was genuinely very good. So like this is being very nitpicky. Um, I I would like to see us in the future. Um, a little bit less reliant on set pieces that are not headers. And by that, I mean, I want to see a score some set headers as well, because it's another way we didn't score um, in on set pieces. And I think we got a little predictable. Yeah, let's, the the let's come back. Let's come back to things like that towards the end. I think that's, that's fair. Uh, but, but I am. I realize I'm being extremely nitpicky. 50 goals is exceptional. I would have I would have settled for. 35 goals and I'm glad we didn't but I would have settled for 35 goals as, as realistic for this season and very good because last season we scored what 18 21 whatever it was um 22 what did we score last season I mean you're gonna make me pull up the categories here but we roughly scored one goal a game last year and we roughly gave up one goal a game last year this year we gave up just under one goal a game and we scored about 1.7 1.8 if you, if you include Atlanta we gave up a goal a game if you if you take away Atlanta which I think is the correct yes. way to look at it we yeah. scored we we let less than a goal a game so yeah yeah i just I, we needed to score more goals i actually think uh, there may be a criticism that i have and not necessarily like 50 i think 50 goals might be the minimum it's unlikely probably that we're going to score more than two goals a game but i want us if we're playing 30 games to, to raise 50 goals. to raise the standard i want us to to get closer to 55 60 goals over 30 games and i want us to keep under giving giving up 25 yeah, yeah. So goals in 30 games. Let's wait. Yeah, you're right. Let's wait to the end and make some like some pushes yeah. there. But yeah. yeah. But again, we're nitpicking here and we understand that we're being um we're looking really really deeply and nitpicking at all of this. So let's cover let's cover some some key statistical items in terms of like the leaderboards for for certain players. Um, and again, this does not include Metro Louisville or Charlotte games. These are pro matches only for these key statistical items and we can talk about a few others that might include those games like minutes played for example but um for pro matches only i actually i actually fun fact have minutes played broken out into pro and then oh, including you the man metro and charlie you the man so key statistical item, i'm going to ask you pro matches only goals leaderboard go no surprise marcus nagelstad with 20 and setting the a new CFC and Nisa record. The Nisa record now is 19 yes with marcus's and for us we are giving him credit because that independent cup did matter um, I imagine if he had played the Memphis game, I feel like he would have scored. Um, but anyway, 20, uh, 20 goals in the season is a new CFC regular or new CFC single record, season, record. single season record uh, that includes amateur and pro. He breaks, he breaks his own record breaks from last record year, from last year, yep. which included uh, a couple amateur games as well as the, the full independent cup. Yes. And we did, he didn't have a bunch of amateur games that he scored in, in this one. Correct. He didn't have any. So, uh, second leading goal scorer this year is Taylor Gray with eight. Um, Something I'd asked for preseason was two double-digit scorers. Came close. We came very close, and I didn't think our regular scorer was going to get 20. Yeah. I, I thought he was going to get, like, 15, whoever it was. Um, this was pre-signing markets. This is when we were just, like, thinking about the roster and what it was going to look like. And so I will say 20 and 8 is for your top two 
combining for 28 goals. Very, very, very good. Yeah. Uh, third place was Alex McGrath with six goals contributing from midfield. Uh, you had Brett Jones contributing from from right slash left wing at four goals, and Ian Saro contributing four goals uh, from midfield. from from midfield. And those are all pro goals, um, all pro goals in the sense that all get NISA games were the Independent Cup, which we only if, if everybody remembers we didn't play unlike last season where we played a couple independent game Independent Cup games earlier on we only played the winner of the group stages at Finley Stadium. Uh, assists leaderboard. These are pro primary assists. Yeah, Marcus Nagelstad with seven. Uh, McGrath with five. Brett Jones with four. Tate Robertson with three from right back. And then Ian Saro with three. So Marcus was 20 and seven. Alex McGrath was six and five. Brett Jones was four and four. Ian Saro was four and three. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. And... uh our other category here uh, on this podcast, we oftentimes talk about the hockey assist. Uh, we don't have, I, I have a list of hockey assists, but I think what's interesting is let's just do the top five in goal contributions because these five set themselves apart compared to everybody else uh, is the most, uh, our, our best, most uh, contributive offensive players. I will also say you and I sometimes disagree on hockey assists <laughs> and their importance. Um, I, they are of course important. Right. One of the thing we talked. One thing we've talked about in in history was like if you go back and in the seasons that CFC was very good, um, a lot of times the same player was making, and a lot of times it was Juan Hernandez was making the pass or the pass to score, so the assist or the pass before the pass. So that and that's what a hockey assist is. It is the pass before the assist. It's the pass to the assister, and or if you draw a penalty, you get a hockey assist for that as well. Um, I I do think. MLS classifies it straight up like there could be two assisters, like the primary and the secondary assister on a play, but they don't break out assist, primary assist, and hockey assist. Yeah, they just call them they, all assists. They lump it in. Which, by the way, MLS is stupid. <laughs> it's it's it, it needs to be broken out. It needs to be broken I out. I think so. Because the... some And like uh, also, if you remember, co-host Smitty said this. He said if the pass is so good that it leads to a tap-in, for example, the pass that Marcus gave to Ian Saro in the Flower City Union game away, where he just... Or he, the one that... For Ale, Ale Hymas as well. So we, we the other yes, game. yeah, where he just does all the work, lays it across, and it's a tap in. That player should get the goal, and the player that taps in should get the assist, which is hilarious and never going to happen. But it's it's just this fun little like thing. But you like you really really like hockey assists, um, and notice we don't call them MLS assists. Uh, call, you really like hockey assists, and so you have made a goal contributions category here, which includes goals, assists, and hockey assists. So those three added up. It's kind of like points. Like in uh, in, yeah. col- in in college, yeah, in, in, in a way. Although you can only get like one point for each statistical category, so it doesn't overweight goals for for whatever reason. Uh, Marcus has twenty eight, unbelievable season. Twenty goals, seven assists, and a hockey assist. Fucking incredible. Uh, I couldn't. I can't believe. Not that he wasn't a good passer, but it's it's pretty crazy that he had that many goals and still managed to have that many primary assists. Yeah, it just shows how dominant he was this year. He was. I mean, like golden boot winner for sure. It's going to be, it's NISA. They'll find a way, but it, uh, is there a NISA MVP? I I think so. I don't know. If he doesn't get it, he got jobbed. Correct. Absolutely correct. Like I I just I don't know how. Oh, could... it's gonna be it's gonna be Stephen Yu. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> uh, Alex McGrath with sixteen goal contributions. So when you add the hockey assist in, he goes from five and four 
to another like I don't know how many hockey assists that seven it's like or five, something. five or six or um, something like that. So yeah, it was, he had it was six, a lot. Sixteen goal contributions out of midfield, an absolute beast uh, this season, and incredibly, incredibly important for our offense. Taylor Gray, fourteen. Uh, the the eight goals, I think two primary assists and a couple of hockey assists in there too, uh, something like that roughly. I think. He had, four, Taylor, he had four hockey assists and two primary, I believe. Taylor, for, for us this season, is emblematic of what we were hoping that Rod was going to be able to do when he came over, which was look around the league and see who was being misused or... Underused? Underused or, or something like that. And I think when Taylor signed, we looked at it, we were like, this guy scored one goal. It was an absolute banger for Bobcats. But he didn't really contribute a ton on the offensive side of the ball as much as and they chose as not much to keep he, him as much as he probably should have they chose not to keep him i did think especially against us you saw his ability to press his ability to hold up the ball a little bit to to make some dangerous stuff occur out of midfield and we saw that all season long it was the kind of thing like rob was going to see a guy that got cut and say you know what this guy can contribute for us. Well, he not only he, contributed, he was one of our key contributors. Our second leading scorer, uh, our third leading, or third in, in goal, goal contributions. contributions. Like, this is, I think it was a great season for Taylor and Gray. It's his first pro, it's his first full pro season. Correct. As he played a pro season last year, but it was a abbreviated one because he made the team from their reserve team midway through the season. Yeah. So, uh, Brett Jones follows on that list with 12. Um, honestly, surprised to see that it's why the hockey assist number is actually interesting because when you add those things four in, goals four assists four hockey assists yeah, he was involved when we were when we were clicking and humming and especially in that se- in that part of the season early on we yeah. first switched block, to wingers. block two brett jones was on he wasn't scoring goals except on, for that one he was, he was on, on fire, fire. and uh, then he and then he contributes three goals at the end uh, of the season at right the end, at, the at the end of the season and then ian Cerro with 10 um just showing that our midfielders our eight slash tens were involved between him and I mean, you look at basically our front five, our three front players, and that is this this list, by the way. It's our front five. It's the three um, three front, and this is on the goal contributions, not necessarily the assists, because uh, Tate Robertson sneaks in there on the assists. But if you do the overall goal contributions, our front five, the three up front, but most of the season, Damian started a bit, but it was mostly Brett, um, Taylor, Marcus, and then uh, Alex McGrath and Ian Saro. Those five players accounted for most of our offense in a pretty... Um, good way in a balanced way. I mean, your numbers here are of course heavily weighted to Marcus, right? 28, but then it goes 16, 14, 12, 10. I mean, everybody was involved. Everybody was playing to Rod's credit. When we talked at the beginning of the season, he said, everyone has to be able to play. Yeah. And we got to get goals from everyone. It's not just about the striker. And it turns out it wasn't just about the striker. While Marcus got the majority of the goals and was very, very, very good. We also had contributions from the rest of the team too. And that was really, really Good, and I hope that is a base to build on for next year, too. Absolutely. Uh, we have a note here from, from Matthew early on. Uh, Marcus, for his season, seven of his 20 goals were from the spot. He went seven of eight on the year, both good numbers, four of which he earned. And the reason that's important is because sometimes you look at a total. We've already gone over this? Yeah. Yeah, we mentioned this. Okay. Um, I'm just reading. I'm reading the show notes. Uh, so anyway, sometimes you look at a player and you go, I want to take those goals out because like somebody else earned them. And yeah, he has to score them, but they don't count as much since he earned four of them. Find them. Well, uh, yeah, we talked about like earning earning penalties is a is a skill in a yes. lot of ways. And uh, it I think it's it's important to note that like he he did. He did the job there. Two free kicks as well. 
so 11 goals from the run of play, nine from set piece opportunities. Just something to note. I wouldn't call those set piece opportunities. I call them penalty kicks and then the two set pieces. But <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now let's go to the little bit uh, more nitpicky part of this. Do you have anything else to add before we get a little extra nitpicky? No. So we've said this is a really good season, um, and we I, I genuinely mean that. But now let's talk about the goals we conceded, how we conceded them, and maybe where there are areas to improve. Um, offensively a little bit, which we could talk about. We kind of already covered, uh, but mostly defensively. So we have a goals conceded category. We conceded 25. Uh, we took out the six against Atlanta. It's just, again, the level of competition is not really fair. We expect to lose that game. I don't really think we want to look at the goals individually one by one. Um, yeah. So we have set pieces, regular run of play, counterattack, and then bangers. We took out free kicks. I'm sorry, we took out penalties. By the way, we did not get a penalty scored on us this year. We never gave one up. Yeah, that's... I didn't put that. I didn't put two and two together. That's gonna revert to the mean. Fuck. <laughs> and we're gonna give up about seven of those next year. Uh, not that we d- just like. There's gonna be some fuckery. All right. Um. So set pieces, and we again we uh we did we would have included penalties in this. We didn't because we don't have it here. We would have included penalties. We gave up eight goals on set pieces. We gave up thirteen from the run of play. We gave up four on the counter. And we gave up five that we classified as bangers. Let's start with why we have bangers in here. So we started, we decided to have a category, which is, holy shit, there's no reasonable expectation that that goal should be stopped by either better play or better planning, because maybe it took a ridiculous bounce and the person murdered the ball in a way that was just unstoppable or whatever. I I think back to... The Memphis goal in the, the Mem- Open the Cup. The Memphis goal in the Open Cup. Absolute banger. The Darwin Espinal free kick at the first game of the season where they Bobcats equalized on a slate. He banger. He hit the he hit the post in that game and he scored. And like that Darwin Espinal is going to do Darwin Espinal shit. And that was a game where he got yes. his two he took they had two opportunities all game and he almost scored both of them. Yes. And we so we included that in the banger category. So let's start with set pieces. Yeah, so and and one thing for the for the math out there. Eight plus thirteen plus four set pieces, run of play, and counterattack equals twenty five. Bangers is an additional category. I think it's interesting. Twenty five goals given up on the season. Five of them we classified as bangers or slash deflections slash whatever. That's twenty five. I'm sorry, that's not twenty twenty five. That's twenty percent. That's twenty percent. Twenty percent of the goals we gave up. We didn't pull out the. Uh, we didn't pull out the bangers out of the. Uh... Uh, we didn't pull the bangers out of this. We added the bangers as yeah. Bangers are an extra. So like we gave up twenty five or twenty percent of the goals that we gave up on the season. We classified as bangers, uh, which that feels. Well, I think when you don't give up a ton of goals, I think the the capacity for a banger existing is actually higher, uh, compared to, uh, because you're just you're it, it takes a little bit more to beat you if that makes sense. Yeah, so five of those 25 goals were absolute bangers, and there's just realistically nothing uh, you would expect to be done differently. Of the other ones, let's talk a little bit about them. How do you feel about allowing eight set-piece goals? Uh, I don't like it, honestly. I think we gave up... I think our set-piece defending could be better. Yes, one of them was a, was a, def- was, was a, a free-kick banger from Espinal in the first game of the season. But we gave up... One was a giant deflection... Yeah, in uh, away at Maryland Bobcats. Correct. Uh, I just, I just, I just think overall, we that that is an area we can improve upon. I I, agree. I don't think we need to give up that many goals on set pieces. 
Um, I mean, obviously we gave up one in the, in the semifinal that that you know where stars is only only goal of the game and it knocks us out of the playoffs. Uh, I I just think that was just one of those things where we could get better at set piece defending. Uh, I agree, and and that, I mean that's a high that's a high number eight versus eight versus thirteen goals from the run of play. I mean that's I don't know if I like I prefer the both of those numbers to be lower, obviously, but. You don't like that ratio. I don't like that ratio. No. Uh, let's talk about counterattacks and regular run of plays now. Um, if you would have told me after the first, after that Flower City game, the first Flower City game where we lost, yeah, uh, because where they had the the most meaningful counterattack of the year. Um, if you told me after that game we would finish the season with only four goals that you and I would classify as counterattacks. I would have guessed we would finish a lot higher because of how we gave that goal up. Yeah, I agree. And I. And I do think there's some credit to be given to the to Rod and the coaching staff and the team that while, and especially to Richard Dixon, that while we were a little bit open, and one of the reason, one of the things that we'll talk about on how we think we can improve, um, the first little part of the season, that first block of the season, we were not as open in the midfield because we had more players in the midfield. Yeah. And I would I think for the amount of open that we were, more of our goals, take out take out set pieces, came from being open, but they didn't come from counterattacks and by that i think that number one yeah there are a bunch of goals we classified as regular run of play where we were we were pretty darn open in the middle of the field yes I, but not necessarily we're getting countered on we still had some numbers and but they were able to get penetration because we were open and one thing i think we did pretty well was manage to have individuals make good plays and as a team we didn't get completely exposed uh, so much that it became this giant problem on counterattacks yeah if we if we next season make improvements in all these categories and the number of counterattacks is still four, I will feel very good about the four number. Obviously, if we lose to two counterattacks in the semifinals next year, that will hurt, for example. But if we if four is the overall number next year, and let's say we let's say we give up 15 goals next year. Say we make a giant improvement. We go from 25 to 15. If we give up four counterattacks, I'll feel good about that number because I think you're going to get countered on now and then. Yeah. And because we are who we are, the way we play, we are going to occasionally be forward in the 30th minute. And we're going to be pushing for a goal, pushing for a goal, get a bad bounce. Someone's going to get a break, right? I do think, though, that if you combine the regular run of play goals of 13 and those counterattacks and then look at the reason why those goals were scored, meaning that our midfield was stuck up the field, maybe not in transition, but because we had taken a chance to jump or we had gotten beat by a good individual play or passing around the midfield, or we didn't have numbers back in the midfield. We had numbers back defensively, but not in the midfield. Therefore, it wasn't transit wasn't transition, but it was, or it wasn't counterattack, excuse me. And it wasn't really transition, but it was like our midfield not being there. There's your, one of your biggest areas for improvement is that having a midfield balance and it might be playing differently. It might be having different personnel for the end of games. It might be having different personnel for the beginning of games. It might be playing the same personnel we have differently, but there's a different way you could defend next year. And I think we have to have that in our tool belt. And we didn't so much this year because our way of defending, which we talked about was two ways. It was having Richard Dixon clean everything up. And <laughs> shout, by the out, way, shout out Richard. Shout out Richard Dixon. He did it all season long and he was brilliant at it. And and the other thing was having later on in the season we had the second one of the one of the eights drop deeper. Usually it was Alex McGrath, but would drop deeper and stay deeper. We would also bring the wingers deeper and just stay with more numbers behind the ball, and that was effective. But that can't be our only way to close out games. It can't be our only way to dominate a midfield. 
um, and not be open in the midfield, I should say. And I hope next year we will see some different solutions for that. I think it's really interesting looking at the four number for goals conceded from a counterattack. Oftentimes in, in lower division soccer, especially below the championship level, I think about, there's a stat I saw from uh, the folks that do the League One review. And they said that in, in games, and it wasn't the full season at, at this point in time yet, they said something to the effect of like the team that had less possession won like a dramatically bigger amount of games in League One uh, over the course of all of those games. Uh, like like a, a stupid number. It was like two-thirds of games won in League One were won by the team with less possession. And I feel like that's, that's crazy. Th- I, I feel like that's pretty emblematic of of the lower divisions, though, in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about, like, in, even in past years, some of our struggles have been, and think back to you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, a lot of times our struggles were giving up goals uh, from, like, in, in run-of-play situations that it had, like, fewer than five passes. And, like, five pa- like fewer than five passes are going to sequence that led to a goal. Which is kind of what we 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 call transition, or counterattack, or whatever, and to only give up four, when it's a, a huge part of lower division soccer, I think speaks really really well to the the care and the planning to make sure you don't get countered. I do I do I agree with you hundred percent in terms of the, you know, some of these goals get put into regular run of play because they involve way more than five passes, but like also. It had the, transition feels because the the attacking the midfield gets skipped and yes and 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 the opposing team was able to penetrate through because sometimes the midfield wasn't there because they might have gotten beat they might have gotten you know sucked out of position a little bit we were oftentimes we were pressing yes. as well and and I, I just think it's really interesting and I think what I'm trying to say it's a credit I think I to the to the team to only have given up four four counterattack goals and a thing to work on in the future. That we yes we can tighten things up a little bit in the middle of the field in terms of like limiting the amount of times that we get penetrated on. I mean I think it's a credit to the to to the defense in terms of how how much they were able to clean stuff up, mm-hmm. uh, especially as as teams got through. And you also saw a lot of like we would we would pressure somebody they would get around them, but in doing that they would have to take a heavy touch. And then Frankie would step in and clean it up. Yes. Or Colin would step in, or Nick Spielman would step in and clean it up, and or Richard Dixon, and and you also saw Tate and Travis oftentimes yes. pinching in to help be that extra midfielder, especially when Richard had to go cover something on the on the other side of the field, and then falling back into their falling back into their formation, uh, as as the play developed further. And I think I think this year, if I was to classify our team, I think we were a very good offensive team, and a solid defensive team. And I mean solid by the weight, the amount of goals we gave up because of how we just didn't give them the ball. And we defended pretty well in a lot of moments, but we were, I would not call us a good defensive team. this Yeah. Year. One I, of the things that's interesting and we're kind of bleeding into, I think we're kind of bleeding into our next category. So I'm just going to kind of take us there. One of the things I think is a, is an area to improve upon that I maybe expected more of in the off season coming into 2022 was I expected, partly based on the way that Rod Underwood played with the team from Stumptown, I expected that we were going to be able to truly control games in midfield and have longer sequences... Through possession. Through possession. And I don't know if... 
and, and I, I understand like they didn't have a striker, especially in that fall season. Like there, there were there was a reason why they were so in tune to having possession and they, not giving it up. And they played with they played with two tens, pretty much tucked in on the Christmas tree. Yeah, they were they the were full season. on Christmas tree. So they had more bodies. Also, you had Colin Stripling running around their midfield. Yeah, which yeah. just as as a physical presence is going to win some physical battle. Like if you try to run around Colin Stripling and you try to run around Ian Saro, if you kick it past Ian Saro and then he kicks you. Or he, you just, you know, you muscle around him. It's, I'm not saying it's super easy, but it's easier than doing it to Colin Stripling, who is six foot three and Ian Cero is five foot eight, right? Like, there's just a different battle that happens physically in the midfield, too. Um, when you look at like Stumptown last year versus us, and I think that that is a feature because Ian Cero was extremely good in possession and good at stepping and creating turnovers and whatever else, but he also lost some physical battles. And I don't know that Ian and Alex don't play maybe a little bit differently next year or, and we'd have no idea guys who's coming back. Who's not. I mean, yeah, well this, by the time this podcast comes out, we might know more because I, we, we think exit meetings are happening now, but as you look at a midfield construction, we didn't have the ability to bring a change of pace. And we talked about this during the season. We didn't have a person to bring off the bench to change things up physically yeah. um, in the midfield. And that is one thing I think we were missing uh, this year. I guess the, the other point was like, I, I would have liked to seen when we had gone up and, and we had plenty of evidence of this of when we go up by a goal or by two goals or whatever, I would have liked to have seen us do a better job of possessing the ball for longer as a matter of controlling and killing some time before going forward again. You, I think I think too often I, I think I think one of the issues with this, I don't think we were I don't think we were as good at it. And and so like Going forward and attacking for some teams, you keep possession as a means of like a defensive mechanism. I think for us, very very few, by the way. But we that was something that Rod's team did last year, and we did to an extent. We just some, didn't do it as well. Sometimes as I think for us, it was trying to do sustained periods of attacking as a defensive mechanism. Yes, um, which I, I think we were good at. Which we I, I think I think we were decent at. I think yeah. we can get better at that. And yes. I think. Uh, I think at, at times, and I and I'm going to pick out Flower City Union here and the counterattack uh, as an example because this is not what happened more often, usually because Richard cleaned it up. But like keeping possession in the attacking third and like fully attacking almost as a means of, of uh, as a defensive mechanism, you're going to lose the ball eventually. There are more numbers back there. You don't have as many bodies attacking. You're eventually going going to lose the ball, and in moments, we would get turned over and, and and the kind of counter would be sprung on. And I think we were over-reliant on an incredibly good Richard Dixon to be able to snuff that out. And I think that's by design. I think the coaching staff looked at what we had and looked at what we were playing against and said, this is the way that gives us the best chance of winning games, game in and game out, and season in and season out. And I think I think you see that. You've, you've seen that over the past few seasons with Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, whereas Kyle Walker and previously Fernandinho in different, some in different players, ways. Some players that you have allow you to do things yes. that you should not ordinarily be able to do. And that is great and it works and it's fine and it's no big deal until you don't have them anymore. Right. And so and the, the biggest problem with that is we, you and I said last season we wanted to see because Richard Dixon was so pivotal to everything we did. Not this last season I'm talking about with Rod Underwood, the previous one with Peter Fuller. Richard was so key to everything we did, whether he was in the midfield or in the defensive line, that when we didn't have Richard, we were just screwed. And that is the case when you don't have your best players. 
but we were so reliant. And then coming into this season, I'll be honest, I kind of thought, well, Richard's not going to be, we're not going to be as reliant on Richard because X, Y, and Z. We're going to play differently, you know, it's whatever. He just turns out we couldn't be more far from the truth because he we became even more reliant on him because he's just that good. But I do think we did not have an answer, and thank God he stayed healthy, and you know, thank God he was just excellent all season. But we also do need a plan B if something happens to Richard Dixon next season because if heaven forbid he has an injury or an illness or whatever, or just because he's getting older he needs a break, or because he's just a regular person he needs a break. We are going to need to have a plan B, and this season we didn't have a plan B. Uh, re- that that was at even close to the same level. By the end of the season, if we had been missing Richard Dixon, and I would argue like next season it's going to be if we're missing Richard Dixon, we're also still in trouble because he's one of our best players. But we got to make sure that drop isn't like six levels down. Yeah, it's got to be one level down or two levels down. Yeah. So let's go over a few a few categories uh, of like where not talking about individual. Individual players, uh, not at all. In the last, in we the just last... talked. To, we just talked a lot about an individual player because yeah, yeah. He, he was awesome. But there, the negative stuff we might talk about a little bit here is not directed at any one player. Yeah, and I and I think you know in the last podcast at the end we kind of said this is how the you know the off season goes in terms of setting a budget, identifying players to recruit. You got to decide who you're bringing back and and how the money makes sense and things like that. We kind of covered that already in the in the previous episode. But if I if I'm looking at this, and this is more of a personal thing, feel free to disagree with me. If I'm looking at some areas of concern, things that have kind of popped up throughout the season, and a reminder, we lost five games. It was a great season. We're nitpicking right now. Extremely nitpicking. There are there are three there are three big categories that I want to see if we can get better at. And this should not surprise you based on what we've talked about already. And we I was say we already belabored one of them. Number one, breaking down a bunkered team. We didn't really have an aerial threat, uh, offensively. Offensively, you know, we scored a few goals from Header this year. Uh, Taylor had one. I think Alex McGrath had did two, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a it wasn't an often thing, uh, and that's not necessarily and we bad. Did, we didn't score a single headed corner as you mentioned earlier. Correct. Yeah, like it, it's not necessarily bad, but when you when you're playing against a bunkered team, you know, and and there's just so many bodies in there. Sometimes the best way to do it is if you have something to aim at. Or a focal point of some kind, uh, especially when they when they drop further and further uh, or closer and closer to their own goal. And I'm not saying like ship off Marcus and his 28 goal contributions or anything like that. Yeah, that would be fucking stupid. It'd be it'd be moronic. But you know, is is Can there we, is there a player out there that makes sense as a change of pace, maybe off the bench uh, to look at in terms of a backup forward, I, or a second forward to bring in during a game. To play alongside Marcus. Yeah. Or another player that could be out on the wing, but that could come in and be in the middle and be an aerial threat. And be, be during... like some sort of physical aerial threat at times. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be like the only thing they do, but I'm saying it, it's a club in the bag that I don't think we really had this year, and I think it's it's worth having on the team. Well, I think you saw just a little bit of it, just a glimmer of it, in the um, Brett Jones goal from a set piece where Colin Stripling started it right back because Tate was out with yellow card accumulation. You saw a larger player because then we had Nick Spielman at center back and Colin Stripling and Frankie Martinez. We were just one more larger player, 
and it's a flicked on header. Doesn't he doesn't score the header, but it's a flicked on header in the box that gets scored by Brett with his knee. Yeah. And I think you just saw a little microcosm of it's another way you can score. It's another tool in the tool belt, and we really didn't have it this year. And we need to have it in some way, shape, or form. And Rod's much smarter than you or I at that, but I would hope he's looking at it and going, okay, we need to have these other tools and other ways to score yeah. when our primary way of scoring becomes more difficult. And also, like for all these things it's incredibly tough to like a lot of teams go out looking for a target man or there's not a target man that makes really sense for them. Like everyone's looking for sometimes the same kind of things. So you, sometimes you just don't, something isn't out there that you, that you want. Also, if like it's the you, story of roster building and lower division soccer, do you think Leon Marich who scored the goal against us, who's six foot five and an enormous fucking guy. Do you think he fits our system? No, I don't either. So one of the problems with like size is that it's tough to get a guy with good feet and everybody on this team has to have good feet that can be an aerial threat. And so I'm not like shaming Rod for bad roster building. I think it's going to be tough, but I do hope that they focus on it for that additional tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Uh, another another thing in the in the breaking down a bunkered team. Uh, I think we can get better next season, and I think we've we've seen some strides, especially winning the ability, especially of Marcus to win some some penalty kicks. I think we can get better when we go one-on-one. So when when a team is bunkered in and we get the ball, let's say it's out wide, and we've got you know our offensive player one-on-one with, say, an outside back of the opposing team, I don't think we won enough one-on-one battles this year. Because if you win that... In, in the box. In the box, yeah. If you win that battle, you force a center back to then come over and step to... to to block you from having a, a clear shot on goal. And what that step allows you to do is you allows you just to slide the ball, uh, I mean, cut back in the box, the thing that Chris Nugent talks about all the time. It allows you to just cut the ball back because you know, you're betting that the center midfielder, who's now has the responsibility of guarding the forward uh, because the center back just rotated over or the other center back has to rotate over, you're betting that they will not be able to, to switch on that quickly. The center back cut, coming over to block you off that usually happens no problem. And it's them coming over that gives you the chance to cut the ball back. And I think I think we can do better at this. I don't think we were I don't think we were great at this. Um and I think it's a way of 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 taking the offense to another level. We had some great fucking team goals this year. Some great team goals. And we had some guys and, that beat their marker and, and got yes. balls in. And but oftentimes we we would be able to beat our marker and, and get this kind of effect. Think back to the away at Albion. Uh, which I realize now, thinking about it, that the stream wasn't working at this exact moment. But you can go back now and watch the video. Uh, the way we were able to beat the marker there and get that cutback for Alex he- uh, McGrath's header was we went two-on-one with the outside back. That also destabilized the defense. Uh, so you can do it like through, through team goals manner, which was our preferred manner and, and method of doing and, it, and, and, we have to and keep doing. through an individual way. And I think we can add the individual aspect to it win some of those one-on-one battles and create some more chances in, in that regard. And look at a guy, look at a guy like Taylor Gray. We, we, we praised Taylor Gray earlier. Um, breakout season, like fantastic. Uh, I thought he was the first old. full pro season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think he's got, I think he's, his ceiling is, is pretty high. Uh, I think he's got a, a full another step that he can go next season. And if, if I look at, if I look at him, think about the amount of times he was able to beat his man in midfield one-on-one we didn't see it as much in the box we did occasionally uh the breakaway against maryland bobcats that he scored to make it 3-0 he absolutely crosses up brandon cleck uh before he beats the goalkeeper 
But in terms of like in tight moments, he didn't beat his defender as often. as much as 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 much as I think he can. Uh, and and if he takes that next step and maybe earns some penalties, I think he earned a couple penalties that were never called. Yes, correct. He got completely screwed on two penalties that I can uh, remember. And, and it's and it's possible not getting a couple of those calls, you know, made him a little bit more timid. Uh, I think later in the season he had a couple good assists. Um, will, in, in the box as well. We're nitpicking here, and I will but also, this is the thing that I think he can take his game to the next level, and I think is one of those things that will make us incredibly more dangerous uh, in breaking down a bunkered team. I will also uh, point out that when you're going against a center midfielder and you murder them, or it's a, a winger, lot different. It's a lot different than murdering a right back or a center back. Correct. Um, so it is. It is, there is room for improvement there. I don't, I don't think either of us is taking anything away from Taylor's season. It was a very good season, and he was a very good player. But he, if he takes that next step, or if we get other players that in other like times take that step or are able to do that thing, yeah. our offense will be even better than it was. It, it'll, it'll go to, like, and this is where I was saying, like, can we go to 55 to 60 goals, like two goals per game? Uh, that's the kind of thing that can get us even further to that next step. Yes. Second thing, uh, and we and we talked about this on, on on the goals conceded categories, I think our set piece defending in the air could be could be better. Uh, I think we gave up too many goals from from set pieces uh, in, in the air. I think, we need. We probably need a little bit more size. Uh, we need to use it, and uh, I think we've talked about that a little bit already. And we've we've talked about and and this is point number three. We were. I think we we're too open in midfield, and I'm not saying that's defensively to close yes, out defensively. games in particular. Yes, because if you give up the kind of goal that we gave up in, the, if you give up a goal in the thirtieth minute. Sometimes that just happens. Yeah. But if you give up that same type of counterattacking goal, like the like the one that we gave up to Flower City, for example, or, or or whatever, if we're giving up big chances later on in games and not able to close them out because our our midfield is too open, and we I know we've belabored that point a lot, it's a problem. But I I do think post away Cal United, you you didn't see us give up a goal like that the rest of the season. Yes, and with some different personnel options, um, off the bench or or whatever. Or or maybe slightly different style. Maybe we go back to the Christmas tree next year. I, I think you've predicted I think that you think we might go back to the Christmas tree next year, which would be wild. Um, but if we go back to the Christmas tree, that also will fix some of that openness as well because it gives you tens. It just gets a you, rid you of wingers. Have to, so you just have to make sure if you go back to the Christmas tree, like Taylor Gray, when he, when we were in the Christmas tree, ended up on the touchline a good fair amount. Uh, but he also ended up in the middle of the field, interchanging correct. with the yes. interchanging with Ian Saro, for example. Correct, and I think the key will be if we go back to the Christmas tree, it's the outside backs. Do the outside are the outside backs able to to get forward and back effectively, uh, or pinch in and then pinch out effectively? Absolutely, to be able to make sure that we have width, so that you can have numbers in the midfield and you can have outside backs forward providing width. That's going to be a key uh, in terms of how we think we're going to build the 2023 team. And I don't think, I could be wrong about this. I probably am wrong about this. But I don't think necessarily that Rod's going to have an idea of, yes, today, we're going to go back to the Christmas tree in 2023. I have a feeling it's, we have the base to be able to do either one. And let's wait and see what kind of personnel is going to create our policy in 2023. Absolutely. So, again, this was an incredibly good season. We nitpicked the shit out of it just now. Um, and look, I feel very, very, very excited for next year. Um, in part because this is year one of a cycle. Um, and if you if you were became a fan this year, great. 
got a lot of got a lot of fun stuff to see. If you've been a fan for a while, this to me felt like a return to kind of prominence again and, and where where I hoped we would be, which is very, very competitive. We kind of hit all our goals for no pun intended, for finishing this season strong. And I'm very, very excited. Um, if you're a player and you're listening to this, thank you for your service this year. Whether Absolutely. You, whether you're back or not, um, you know, we love you. So uh, we don't make those decisions, and thank God we don't get paid to do those. So yeah. we love you. You guys fucking crushed it this year, and uh, I can't wait for next year. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here. <laughs>